The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Amen. Turn the page, let's sing out Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Number two.
copy of God's Word this morning and be turning to Revelation chapter 14, please. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, there should be one of the pew rack there in front of you. will be reading in Revelation chapter 14 uh, in just a moment. Author Lloyd C. Douglas used to tell about how he loved to visit an old man who gave violin lessons because the teacher had a kind of homely wisdom that refreshed him. And so one morning, Douglas walked in and said, well, what's the good news today? And putting down his violin, the teacher stepped over to a tuning fork that was suspended from a cord and he struck it a smart blow. He said, this is the good news for today. That, my friend, is the musical note A. It was A all day yesterday. Will be A next week. And for a thousand years. Now, friend, I don't know if that excites you or not, but I've got some news today that should. Our God, that we've been singing about, praying to and talking about, and the choir just lifted up. Our God is perfect. He was perfect all day yesterday. He'll be perfect next week and for a thousand years. In fact, He has always been perfect and will always be perfect. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, As for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. Now, to be honest, we have a hard time getting our arms wrapped around the idea of absolute perfection, don't we? I mean, none of us are perfect, right? None of us. I read this past week about a Dr. Eugene Lyman Fisk. And Dr. Fisk was once the medical examiner at the Life Extension Institute. And years ago, here's what he said. Physical perfection is still the most elusive thing in the world. And he said that after over a 14 year period examining 500,000 men. So over 14 years, he examined 500,000 men and he said physical perfection is still the most elusive thing in the world. In fact, here's what he said. We have given up hope of finding physical perfection. And I might go so far as to say that it is no longer attainable. I have found among the men I've examined. Now, remember, he examined over 500,000 men. I found among the men I've examined not one grade A man. Not one. Now, ladies, if you want some brownie points, you might turn to your husband and say, well, I guess he never examined you, honey. (laughs) But not one. In fact, listen to what else he said. Even the grade B's are all too rare. He says, hence, none of us is really genuine, just various grades of bootleg B's. It is even impossible to find a perfect specimen at birth. Now, men, doesn't that thrill you? Doesn't that excite you? You're not grade A. I'm not grade A. We're not even grade B, probably. So for all of you single ladies waiting for your grade A Prince Charming to come riding up. Sorry, he's not coming. I mean, you're expecting a finely tuned precision muscle car to come driving up and you look up and here comes a Pinto turning in the drive. <laughs> And not just a Pinto, a Pinto station wagon. You're out of luck. You're going to end up with maybe a grade C. 
Because even the grade B guys are hard to come by. You might even have to settle for a D grade. I don't know. As far as I know, there have only been two perfect men who've ever walked upon planet Earth who were absolutely perfect. Adam, before he sinned, and of course the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is still perfect. The The rest of us, men and women, we're not perfect, not even close. But God is. Psalm 1830 says this. As for God, his way is perfect. He is absolutely and totally perfect. And I was reminded of that as I studied Revelation 14 today. And I hope you found your place by now. And I want to remind you where we are in this study. We're taking really a a big view. And we've kind of sped through and we're looking at the big picture here. And we've already studied the different judgments up to this point. We saw seven seal judgments and we studied those out. And if you remember in the seventh seal judgment, you have the seven trumpet judgments. So then we studied the seven trumpet judgments. And in the seventh trumpet judgment, you then have the seven bowl judgments. Now, where we are right here in Revelation 14, the seventh trumpet has sounded. Okay, it sounded back in chapter 11, verse 15, but we've yet to have the first bowl judgment. So we're kind of in between, if you will, the trumpet and judgment, the uh, bowl judgment. You have the seventh trumpet sounding, but the first bowl judgment's not yet uh, been uh, executed. It will very soon. In fact, we'll see it's coming in chapter 16. So we're looking at chapters 12 through 14. We've been looking at these the last several weeks. And we're learning about some of the key players in the tribulation time. And we learned about the unholy trinity. You know, there's the holy trinity we sang about this morning. Holy, holy, holy. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. But there's also an unholy trinity made up of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We studied Satan in chapter 12, and we looked at Satan. We studied the Antichrist and the false prophet last week in chapter 13. And there's some of the key players in this end times drama. Now, here in chapter 14, we're given a preview of what's coming, a preview of what's coming. Let me ask the guys a question. I've already downgraded all of us today. We're either B, C, D or whatever. But I'm going to ask all of us a question and you can answer it no matter what grade you are. If you get an F, you can answer it. Okay. how many of you guys have a wife? So I'm asking the married guys, how many of you guys have a wife that likes or loves HGTV? Let me see your hands. Uh, one shot up right there. Home, oh, there's one over there. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'll pray for you, brother. And over there, HGTV, home and garden television, right? I didn't look back here. All right. All right. All right. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you sit and watch HGTV if your wife, okay? It's one thing to watch this old house. Back there, I see those hands. That's one thing to watch this old house. That's that's mammon. That's this old house. I mean, that's one thing. But HGTV. And so I'll admit, yes, I've watched HGTV. My wife loves HGTV. But there's something that irks me about HGTV. Something really irks me. When they have one of those shows, they're going to redo a room. Or redo a house and the show's coming on and they show you the new room and the new house completely done on this episode of whatever. Here's what we're going to be doing. And then they want you to sit there and watch them do that. So what's the point? I've already seen the new house. I've already seen the new room. Move on to something else. That irks me. I want to see you do it. Then then show at the end. Here it is. No, they want to catch your attention. Well, what we have here today 
is really an introduction or a preview. Here's what's coming. It doesn't irk me here. Why? Because God is letting us know what's going to be coming. And I'm thankful that he shows us what's coming. He's showing us the finished product. He's showing us what's about to happen here in the book of Revelation. What's about to happen here in the end times. And in doing so, he shows us a picture of his perfection and his glory and his power. And before we read the chapter, listen to what Ed Heinsohn had to say about it. He said, following the typical pattern of Revelation, this chapter provides an overview of what follows in chapters 15 through 19. So just like a show would come on and show you on this episode, here's what's going to happen. Show you the finished product. That's what chapter 14 is going to be doing. And then in chapters 15 through 19, it'll be unveiled for us and show us how it all works out. And he said, John's perspective in this overview takes us all the way to Armageddon and the battles and the judgments that follow or the judgments that follow. Rather, the battle of Armageddon and the judgments that follow. So here's a preview of what's about to happen, what's about to come And I think it'll be clear as we read it and study it today. Would you follow along as I read Revelation 14, verses 1 through 20? The Bible says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one can learn that song except the hundred and forty four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead and on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Verse 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. 
and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for one thousand six hundred furlongs. Now, we said at the beginning of our message, what our God is perfect. Our God is perfect. And I want to show you from those verses we just read three ways in particular that demonstrate his perfection. Would you notice, first of all, beloved, as we unpack these verses together, that God is a God of perfect power. God is a God of perfect power. In verses one through five, we see a lamb. Obviously, the lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's there on Mount Zion and with him are one hundred and forty four thousand standing on Mount Zion. And I believe this is the heavenly Mount Zion mentioned here as opposed to the earthly Mount Zion. Hebrews twelve twenty two says, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. You say, well, how do you know it's the heavenly Mount Zion? Well, because they're singing a new song before the throne. It says they're before the throne of God singing. And so I believe we have the heavenly Mount Zion and they're standing there. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the hundred and forty four thousand. And they're singing a new song. Now, these hundred and forty four thousand are not strangers to us. If you've been with us in the study, you know that we met them back in chapter seven. And the hundred and forty four thousand or twelve thousand Jews, men that are sealed from the twelve tribes of Israel. And back in chapter seven, we said to you, they're sealed by God, showing possession, protection and preservation. In other words, God sealed them. God protected them. God was going to keep them throughout the tribulation time when they were here upon the earth. And they are witnesses in the tribulation time. Just their mere presence is a witness to God. Why? Because of the name of God on their forehead. And so their mere presence, if you were around them, if you saw them, is a witness to God. But I believe they not only witnessed by their presence, I believe they witnessed by proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been out preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, the thing I want you to see is that we have their beginning back in chapter 7. And here in chapter 14, we have a glimpse of their ending, if you will, or the conclusion of their ministry. In other words, God started out with 144,000 of these sealed servants and he sealed them. And they're upon the earth during this time of hell on earth, the tribulation time. And when all is said and done, when we see them again here in chapter 14, he still has how many of them? A hundred and forty four thousand. He has perfectly protected them by his perfect power. He didn't lose one. Uh, they didn't fall away. He has them. He sealed them at the beginning. And in his perfect power, he's preserved them and he's protected them and he's brought them to this point. And not only has he perfectly protected them, did you notice they're still serving him? 
In fact, it says they sang a new song that only they can sing. They're still praising Him. I've said it before and I'll say it again as we study this book together, Revelation. While it appears that everything is out of control, in fact, it is perfectly under His control. Because He is perfect in power. He is all-powerful. All-powerful. Omnipotent. And things are going to end just the way that He wants them to end. And he has the power to ensure that they do. Now, I don't know about you, but how encouraging that is to me. I know it is to me to know that my God is a God of perfect power. And he's in complete and total control. And he will bring everything to the end as he desires and as he wants. And if God can keep 144,000 during a time of hell on earth, can he not keep you and me, my dear brother and sister in Christ? He's all powerful. I thought about that old song this past week. If we could see beyond today as God does, can see. If all the clouds should roll away, the shadows flee. Or present griefs we would not fret. Each sorrow we would soon forget. For many joys are waiting yet for you and me. If we could know beyond today as God doth know. Why dearest treasures pass away and tears must flow. And why the darkness leads to light. Why dreary paths will soon grow bright. Someday life's wrongs will be made right. Faith tells us so. If we could see, if we could know, we often say. But God in love availed to throw across our way. We cannot see what lies before and so we cling to him the more. He leads us till this life is o'er. Trust and obey. Yes, trust and obey. Beloved, our God is a God of perfect power, perfect power. No one can stay his hand and say, what doest thou? No one can hinder his plans. God is a God of perfect power. We see that here. He preserves, protects his possession, his his 144,000. And they're there singing a new song, praising him before the throne of God. He has protected them. They've completed their job. They've done what he sent them to do. He's a God of perfect power. But would you notice, secondly, today that God is a God of perfect grace? God is a God of perfect grace. If God is perfect, and he is, then all that he is is perfect, and all that he does is perfect, and his grace is perfect. We see a picture of his heart and a picture of his grace in the next two verses, verses 6 and 7. Look at that again. Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Saying with a loud voice so that all may hear. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, I want to be honest with you. We read of at least six angels in chapter 14 and another angel and another angel. They are ministering spirits. They're created beings that God made to serve. And they play key roles here. And by the way, I just give you a little uh, heads up later on this summer on Wednesday night. We're going to do a Bible study on angels and you need to know what the Bible teaches about angels. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of people believing things that are not true. We're going to look at a a study this summer, God willing, uh, called uh, uh, Angels, Demons and Other Flying Creatures. And I encourage you to take the study with us 
uh, later on. But when we see this angel appear here in chapter 14, we see a picture of God's grace. In the midst of the tribulation time, in the midst of hell on earth here, he makes sure that people hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Did you notice it says the angel is flying, having the everlasting gospel to preach to whom? To those who draw on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he proclaims it with a loud voice, calling people to worship God, calling people to turn to God. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. We believe this is what's being talked about in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and verse 14. It says in Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We said to you that God desires people to hear the gospel and be saved. And in the tribulation time, we find we have two witnesses that are out preaching the gospel. We have 144,000 here preaching the gospel. We have an angel flying in the midst of heaven preaching the gospel. We have the silent witnesses. I've mentioned to you before uh, Bibles and gospel tracts and CDs and all of the material to people can find and, and, and be able to read and see maybe and be able to hear the gospel. God's heart is that people would hear the gospel, respond to the gospel and be saved. And many people will come to faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation time. And many will pay the ultimate price for doing so. Did you notice verses 12 and 13? Look back at verse 12 and verse 13. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. We know it's going to be a very dangerous time uh, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus at this time. And many are going to die. But he says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. That's true now, by the way. But here he's specifically talking about those who are going to die. And it says they may rest in their labors and their works follow them. God is a God of perfect grace. And God sends his angel to preach the gospel during this time. But guess what? He sent us to preach the gospel during this time. He's left us here to preach the gospel. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To go into Judea and Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth with the gospel, teaching them, calling people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of God. The Bible says he doesn't desire anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's provided the way, the truth and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be out proclaiming the gospel. The fact that we serve a God of perfect grace. Now, God is a God of perfect power and perfect grace. But would you also notice this passage, beloved, that God is a God of perfect wrath. Perfect wrath. Now, probably many didn't bat an eye on those first two points. I mean, we know he's a God of perfect power. We know he's a God of perfect grace. But perfect wrath. Is that even possible? Well, if God is perfect and he is and the Bible says his ways are perfect, then everything he does is perfect. Right. I mean, the Bible says, as for God, his way is perfect. So if God exercises wrath, he does so perfectly. And God is perfect in his justice and he's perfect in his judgment. And here we find him exercising perfect wrath upon those who deny his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we find several things. But you notice verse eight. We have another angel coming 
This angel says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she's made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of fornication. And so what is Babylon? Well, Babylon here, and keep this in mind for future studies as well, refers to the entire worldwide political, economic and religious kingdom of the Antichrist. We showed you how a commerce and, 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 and religion, everything is tied together under the Antichrist reign. And so Babylon here pictures the whole worldwide political, economic, and religious kingdom of the Antichrist. And what does the angel say about it? He says it's going to fall. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. And we're going to study that in chapters 17 and 18. But we find that they announce that the falling of Babylon, the Antichrist kingdom. God's going to exercise his wrath, his, his judgment, his justice against that. And then we find in this passage that those who worship the Antichrist in his image. And by the way, if they worship the Antichrist and they worship the image of the Antichrist, who are they actually worshiping? Satan, that old dragon, that serpent, that devil. It says they shall be turned into hell. And we see an awful picture of hell here, the lake of fire and the judgment. In fact, look at verse 10. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now, notice what it says. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest. They are night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so those who decide to worship Satan and the Antichrist and and those and those who reject God and his grace and the gospel, they're going to end up in a horrible place where there's going to be fire. There's going to be uh, torture. There's going to be brimstone. All these things in a literal, physical, eternal place called hell, the lake of fire. And so my question to you, beloved, is are you sure you're not going there? Are you sure today that you're not going there? Because all those who reject the gospel, all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ are destined for hell. All you have to do to go to hell is do nothing. Let me say that again. All you have to do to go to hell is do nothing. You've already done enough. You've sinned. And you're condemned already, the Bible says. And so if you do nothing else, if you if you just do nothing, you're condemned already and you'll be turned into hell. But you don't have to go there. Why? God is a God of perfect grace. And God has provided for your pardon. He sent God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life, who then voluntarily said, I'll give my life. And he laid his life down on that cross and shed his precious blood and bore your sin and my sin upon himself. And he was buried and he rose again victorious. And he says to you, come to me. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll make you an heir and join heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. That is God's desire for you. He's not willing that any should perish. But the choice is yours. We find there are those during the tribulation time who will reject even an angel flying, preaching the gospel. But instead, they choose to worship the Antichrist and the image that he sets up. If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you today. So I've mentioned several times in our study the great news that if 
you know Jesus here. We're not looking for the tribulation. We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for Jesus to come get and take us home. And we won't be experiencing this. So I encourage you to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. As we return to God's perfect wrath, we find a scene that should shake us and wake us up. Let's just read it again. Look at verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and on his hand a sharp sickle. This is a sickle you would use to reap. You think about the olden days. Maybe some of you used that growing up or maybe some of us read about that in history books. You know, this sickle. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. The son of man there, of course, would be the Lord Jesus. He's there with the crown. Messenger comes, this angel thrust in your sickle. It says in verse 16, he thrust in his sickle, the earth was reaped. Another angel comes out of the temple. It's a sharp sickle, verse 18. We have another angel coming, crying out, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for grapes are fully ripe. And notice verse 19. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles. I want you to picture that up to the horse's bridle, a river of blood for one thousand six hundred furlongs. This is obviously a preview of the Battle of Armageddon. In fact, if you put your finger there in chapter 14 and turn to chapter 19. Chapter 19. Let's pick it up at verse 19. 1919. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured. That's the Antichrist was captured. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning of brimstone. That's their eternal destiny. Verse 21, and the rest and the rest. And you have the armies and the kings of the earth and those who joined forces there in that battle of Armageddon. Verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. Christ just wipes them out. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. It's not a pretty picture, but it's a reminder that man can raise his puny fists in order to fight God. But our God is perfect in power and the wrath that he exercises is perfect and he wipes them out and they go to an eternal hell. Now, beloved, if we belong to God, if we receive the son as our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't need to fear tomorrow. We don't need to fear these things. God is perfect in his power. He'll have his will. He'll have his way. But the question must be asked today to every person here, every person listening to me, those who listen to this recording later. Will you experience his perfect grace or will you experience his perfect wrath? There are no other options. No other options. The choice is yours. You will have grace or you will have wrath. You can choose grace and choose Christ and choose life, eternal life. And I beg you today and I plead with you today. And in the best way I know how, from the depths of my heart, choose grace, choose life, choose Christ. But if you don't, then you've chosen wrath.
There are no other options. Friend, I pray that everyone listening, if you've not already chosen grace, that you will choose grace as you choose Christ. And as you choose Christ or you've chosen Christ in days gone by, would you rejoice today in knowing that your God, our God, is a God of perfect power, perfect grace, and yes, perfect wrath. We can trust in him totally and completely. Father, I pray right now your Holy Spirit will work in the hearts and lives of these men and women, teenagers, young people. To those listening to my voice right now. And if there's anyone here who is not 100% sure that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. I pray that you'll bring them to saving faith right now. Lord, that you would allow them to uh, come and allow us the privilege of sitting down with the Bible and leading them to Calvary. And looking at that precious blood that washes away their sin. Father, I praise you today that you are a God of perfect power, grace, and wrath. All that you are is perfect. All that you do is perfect. No one can stay your hand. No one can say, what doest thou? And Lord, I praise you and I rejoice in the fact today that everything that we're reading about Everything that we're studying, everything that we're curious about, everything's going to work out exactly the way you want it to. And we rejoice in that. And we pray today, even so come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to close the service with maybe an unusual invitation song if ladies will make their way to the instruments. We've been focusing upon our God today. We read about him. We sang about him. The choir sang about him. We've talked about him. We've studied about him. And he is worthy of our worship, our praise, and our trust. So I want to close today with number three. That next hymn. Number three. We read one. We sang two. We're at number three. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise. And as we sing today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, would you lift your hearts and your voices in worship today? But if you do not know him, I want to say to you, he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of your life. Would you come today and allow us the privilege of leading you to the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, what will happen, preacher? You come meet me here and I'll just simply welcome you and place you with someone who will take a Bible and sit down with you and share Christ. That's what we want to do today. Would you come and allow us to do that? If you don't know, if you're not certain, because, beloved, you're going to either have God's grace or God's wrath. Please, please choose His grace. Let's stand and sing number three.